Let's open our Bibles this morning to Ezra chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. Ezra chapter 10, verses 9 through 15. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then, make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do His will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign wives. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, It is so. We must do as you have said. But the people are many, and it is is a time of heavy rain. We cannot stand in the open, nor is this task a task for one day or for two. For we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Let our officials stand for the whole assembly. Let all in our cities who have, been, who have taken foreign wives come at the appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. Only Jonathan, the son of Ahasel, and Jazeah, the son of Tikvah, oppose this. And Meshulam and Shabbatai, the Levite, supported them. Let's pray. Our Father, open our hearts to Your Word this morning. Let us hear what Your Spirit has for the church. Let us receive it as corrective, as exhortative, as it's teaching us. Let us accept it as it draws us closer to You. For Lord, when You call us to be holy, when You call us to be a separate people, it is not to separate us from You, but to be separate along with You. You call us to Yourself. You are a holy God and you demand a holy people. It is for that reason you sent your Son. And so God, I pray that we would hear your words and we would obey. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the firstborn from the dead, we pray. Amen. A week ago, we looked at the proclamation that went throughout the community of the returned exiles from Ezra and the leaders, that every man must come to Jerusalem in three days for an assembly of all God's people. And you'll recall that this was to deal with the rebellious sin the people had adopted in marrying with the idolaters of the land. And so in half the time since we last met for worship on the Lord's Day, all the remnant of Israel had traveled to Jerusalem for this great assembly. And they had gathered in what was described here as a plaza or an open square, most likely the great court of the temple itself. 
I mentioned last week that it was near midwinter with a meeting occurring on the 19th of December, 458 B.C. And as we see in this passage, this is also the rainy season in Judah. But even for the rainy season, the rain here was torrential. And if you will allow me to digress from my main point for just a moment, I would like to call your attention to something right there. Because this great rain certainly raised great obstacles for the people coming to this assembly. And the assembly was not limited merely to those who had sinned in the matter. It wasn't just those who had married foreign wives who were called. It was all of God's people who were called. Those with the longest journeys would be soaked along with all the clothing and even the food that they had brought with them. Even those who were quite innocent of this sin were compelled under the penalties set forth in the proclamation to appear in Jerusalem the same as the rebels. So even those who had remained faithful to God in the face of the idolatry around them endured the journey, the elements, and the assembly the same as those who caused the assembly to be gathered. Today, we, and I mean churches in general, work often relentlessly to make people comfortable. It pains me to say it, it is far too often a very high priority for the church. And I'm not even talking about the entertainment complexes that call themselves churches. I'm talking about right here, this assembly. And I suppose I'm confessing here a bit to you all, but we worry about the air conditioner in the summer. We worry about the heat in the winter. We concern ourselves with the volume of the instruments and other contributing elements to our worship. When I choose hymns for worship, even as I try to choose hymns that support the message of the day, I often make choices amongst those in favor of familiar hymns over unfamiliar for no better reason than we might sing them all together better. And at some point, we may have a larger congregation than is comfortable in this space. And we may begin looking at other locations to make everyone more comfortable. And those are the things we can control. There's an old joke that two drops of rain will keep three Baptists away from church, and we can't control the rain. So why do we, and I mean churches, not simply the elders here, why do churches go through all that trouble? Often, it is to give people fewer excuses to stay away. It's as simple as that. No one wants to neglect some item of comfort that someone might use as an excuse to hit the snooze on their alarm one too many times on Sunday morning. 
We, and I do mean the elders here now, we do worry about you when you're not here. We're concerned when we don't see you on the Lord's day. But I would pray that no one would stay away simply because there is some uncomfortable element here. That you would never use those things as an excuse. Now we'll continue to do our best on all these things. But we pray that your devotion to Christ is such that if we were forced to meet in the open, in the rain, that you would be just as diligent in your attendance and in your participation. Ezra didn't postpone the meeting. Obedience to God was more important than soaked clothing and momentary discomfort. And church, it is past time we put away our pursuit of comfort and embraced our pursuit of suffering. When Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For us, at the very least, that means that we put up with things bearing inconveniences and difficulties. Even if the AC goes out for an entire Sunday or power is disrupted for for some of our brothers right now for a couple of weeks, these are tiny inconveniences compared to the hardship Paul was calling his protege to. The things I have heard people complain about in churches is microscopic compared to the hardships this young man was soon to face. 1 Peter 4, 1-2 says, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And so in our battle against sin and our battle against the flesh, what Peter tells his readers is arm yourself with the same purpose that Jesus had. Jesus suffered in the flesh. And it is very much the same thing that Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27 when he said, I discipline my body and make it my slave. What he says is deny pleasures and comforts to the body to bring it under control. Is this some sort of asceticism where we're supposed to harm ourselves? No. What it says is be more sold out to God than you are to comfort. And brethren, that does not describe the church in this country today. I would go a step further and say that if your first thought after leaving worship sounds like, I really enjoyed worship today, Or, I really didn't enjoy worship today. You may have missed the point 
of worship entirely. Worship is not an event to be enjoyed. It is an offering to be made. Put another way, our primary concern in worship is not whether we found the event to be superior to the entertainments of this world. Our primary concern in worship is whether our worship was accepted by our holy God. In summing up that great psalm of worship, Psalm 19, a psalm I encourage each of you to put into your heart in its entirety. It has only 14 verses. David began the psalm by saying, The heavens declare the glory of God. And he concludes with this prayer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The heavens can declare the glory of God. Can I? Have I in worship done that very thing? Or have I sought something for myself? Worship is your gift of love, praise, and communion with the God of all creation who loves you. As I was reading this week, I read the words of Charles Spurgeon who said, Consider God's love to us. Get the thought into your head a minute. God loves me. Not merely bears with me, thinks of me, feeds me, but loves me. Oh, it is a very sweet thing to feel that we have the love of a dear wife or a kind husband, and there is much sweetness in the love of a fond child or a tender mother. But to think that God loves me, this is infinitely better. Who is it that loves you? God, the maker of heaven and earth, the Almighty, all in all. Does He love me? Even He? If all men and all angels and all the living creatures that are before the throne loved me, it were nothing to this. The infinite loves me. And who is it that He loves? Me. The text says, us. We love Him because He first loved us. But this is the personal point. He loves me, an insignificant nobody, full of sin, who deserved to be in hell, who loves Him so little in return. God loves Our verse today tells us that the people were trembling. They weren't trembling because they wondered if they would receive a blessing. Some might even try to dismiss their trembling as a simple physical reaction to the heavy rains that the people endured. But the writer here tells us first 
they were trembling because of the matter. And that is even before Ezra got up to speak. One of the really interesting things in this passage today that doesn't translate at all into English is that the phrase, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain, that word because in the Hebrew are two different words. The word translated because in because of this matter, that because talks about an emotional reason. A reason that comes from inside. While the word translated because in the phrase because of the heavy rain indicates a physical cause. Thus the Holy Spirit, through the writer of this book, is making sure that we know it wasn't simply the rain making them tremble. It was the guilt of their sin. The guilt of this great sin is chilling their hearts, even as the cold rain chills their bodies. And I think God was showing them His displeasure over their sin in this heavy rain. Now we do have to be careful if we view acts of nature or man as divine omens or some other such thing. But since the Holy Spirit links the rain to the hearts of the people, I feel confident in saying that this is also the mind of God. Heavy rains, even hailstorms, were more than once a sign of His great displeasure, of His impending judgment. Think about Noah. Think about the plague of hail. After Moses told Pharaoh, let my people go. For us today, whenever we experience setbacks or difficulties, we should look to the sin God would cut from us or the virtue He would grow. Setbacks, as I mentioned a little bit ago, often work to sever us from the things of this world that we love. But also keep in mind the message of the book of Job. Not every tragedy can be traced back to a sinful cause. But every tragedy must be faithfully endured. James 1.12 reminds us, Blessed is the man who perseveres. That means maintains his faith through trials. Looking specifically at their trembling over the matter, I suppose today we would call this emotion dread. The fear of what will happen or what we expect to happen. Did anybody in here ever hear the words similar to wait until your father gets home and dread his arrival? Because you knew punishment was coming with him. 
for the Jews in Ezra's day, even if they had denied the severity of the sin before, the fact that this threatening proclamation had been made shows the real importance of the sin for the people. These marriages to idolaters were not simply an alternative lifestyle. They weren't simply a new social norm, a new normal. They were a sin against God. And they were right to tremble. Hebrews 10.31 reminds us it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Where there is active sin, there can be only dread. When one considers the holiness, the justice, and the judgment of God, even for those who are God's people, the sin you hold in your heart and in your life will separate you from Him so that your fellowship with Him is broken. Isaiah 59.2 declares your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Even your assurance and hope in salvation can be damaged by persistent sin. There are so many Christians who carry unneeded dread in their heart, dreading the day when their sin will find them out. For some, their dread is from the judgment of other people. For others who understand that their sin is an offense against God, they may tremble at that understanding. Recall Psalm 51. And hear the trembling that it begins. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in my sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inmost being, and in the hidden part you will make me no wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation." And sustain me with a willing heart. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will be converted to you. 
Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The title of the psalm tells us that this is the repentance of David after he had sinned with Bathsheba. The bones that he felt like were broken. He felt like God had hidden his face completely from him. He's saying, just hide your face from my sin. But beloved of God, that is the good news. God has already crushed, punished, and destroyed the guilt of that sin in Jesus Christ. In your life. He has done that so that He can call gently to you as Isaiah begins his great book. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they'll be like wool. How many carry around their sin and guilt needlessly when Jesus has paid the price for every last bit of that sin. Those who fear the punishment of God cannot experience in that moment the consolation of God. Would you be free from that dread? O child of God, come to Him and let Him relieve you of that burden. The remainder of Ezra is the description of how God led them to repentance as a people. You were not created to be sinful, but holy. You were not born again to the same law that so easily condemned you. 1 Peter 1.3 says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Certainly leave your sin behind. Don't persist in it. Repent of it. Leave it and walk away. God has given you that very dread, that very conviction by the Holy Spirit to bring you to Jesus Christ, to forgiveness. Thank God for the trembling. And when you have come to Him, feel the love, the acceptance, the warmth of His sacrifice on your behalf. 1 John 4, 16-19 tells us we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. 
Because as He is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not completed in love. We love because He first loved us. The enemy would keep you from seeing the love of God. He would keep you with your eyes on your sin. He would keep you sitting there in dread of the day when that sin will be discovered or judged. And God calls you to come and lay it down. In commenting on this very passage, Spurgeon again made this beautiful observation. There is a loving, holy fear that is never cast out. Filial fear, meaning faithful, childlike fear, grows as love grows. We must always cultivate that sacred dread, that solemn awe of God, but we are not afraid of Him. God is your best friend, your choicest love. You long to approach Him. Though He is a consuming fire, you know He will only consume what you want to have consumed. He will purify you and make your gold to shine more brightly because the consumable alloy is gone from it. He will not consume you, but only that which would work for your hurt if it were left within you. He will not consume you, but only that which would work for your hurt if it were left within you. What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning safe and secure from all alarms, leaning on the everlasting arms. Let's pray. Our Father, we may tremble before You for a season. But God, that is not the state that You wish to leave us in that You will to leave us in. Trembling brings us to repentance. Repentance brings us to You. You are consuming fire. But we are not consumed. We are embraced. We are enveloped by Your fire. 
we are searched and we are proven by your fire so that you may present to yourself a bride whole, unblemished, unalloyed, so that you may present to yourself a bride holy as you are holy. And this was done through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.